We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 this evening, if you want to open up your Bibles. Philippians chapter 1, going to be in verses 12 through 20. Before we start, let's just go before the Lord. Father, we thank you this evening. We pray for illumination and insight from the Holy Spirit. In your Son's name, amen. So Philippians 1, verse 12, Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by much imprisonment, are more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be all ashamed, at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So we continue in Philippians chapter 1. Themes that are running through the book of Philippians are joy and rejoicing. And from verses 1 through 11, we talked about suffering together joyously. Now verses 12 through 20 this evening, we're going to be looking at building our character through joy. So when you hear the book of Nehemiah, is joy the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear that book? So someone says, turn to Nehemiah. That's the book of joy. I don't think many of us think that way, but in chapter 8, it's in, there's an interesting verse here. The context of chapter 8 in Nehemiah, the project to build the wall was complete. It took 52 days. It was now time to sit down and hear the word of God read, so Nehemiah reads from the law of Moses. And as he's reading through the law of Moses, the Israelites begin to weep. Their conscience becomes bothered because the holiness of the law is exposing the past sins of the children of Israel. So as they're weeping, Nehemiah tells them not to weep. Don't allow what happened in the past to take away the joy you have in the Lord today. And Nehemiah tells them why. He says, because the joy of the Lord is their strength. So what Nehemiah is saying to them is, don't allow the past sins to take away the joy that you have presently in the Lord today. So for us today, what would it take to have the joy that you have in your heart removed? What would it take to shake you loose of the joy that you have received by the Holy Spirit? Is it something that you've always feared would come to pass? Is it something that you've always worried about? If that were to come to pass, how would you respond? 
couple weeks ago, I was talking to an elderly man who, he had one of those, um, I think he had one of those picture frames that have the moving pictures. I'm, I'm dating myself and I'm not that old, but you, you plug in a USB and it, has, it, it goes through a lot of the pictures. So as the pictures were going by, I was asking him about each one. And then his picture of his daughter came up. I said, well, well who's that? And he said, that's my daughter. She died in an automobile accident 20 years ago. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. He said, yeah, she was killed by a drunk driver. And then he continued on with his story. He said, after the court hearings and procedures were done and the lady was sentenced to prison, one month after she got to prison, I made contact with her and I visited her in prison. And I visit her once a month for the past 20 years. And I was just absolutely blown away by this man's heart on how the very person who killed his daughter in a drunk driving accident, how did he respond? Well, he kept his joy, and he brought his joy forward to the person who committed the crime. How personal that was, how intense that was, how much had to be going through his mind, but yet how he responded. I don't know if I've ever heard of a better way of responding to such a traumatic event as this man showed. So what we see about our character, our character is not measured by how much or how good we feel when things are good. Anybody can be happy during good times. Your character is measured when things go bad, when things become difficult, when things don't turn out the way you had planned or the way you had expected, when you're face to face with pain and suffering. And this is the truest test of our heart. And this is the truest test of our character in Christ. When your circumstances strip you of all of your comfort and all of your self-sufficiency and they force you, you are now forced to grow in faith. And at the same time, as you're forced to grow in faith, you remain unwavered in your joy in the Lord. So a true test of a person's spiritual character and their resolve and their strength and their maturity is how the individual responds when adversity hits. To see what it takes to rob you of your joy in Christ. Now I'm not saying that it is a sin to grieve. It's not a sin to grieve. I'm not saying there aren't times where we are sad or that we're even concerned about the way the world is today. These things are not sin. What I'm warning against is allowing any of these things to rob us of the joy that we have in our hearts as we are going through the difficulty in our lives. Now notice verse 13 here in chapter 1. How did Paul respond to the circumstances he was facing when he wrote this? Verse 13, Paul says what? My imprisonment is for Christ. Like Paul, we all have our difficulties. We all face our hard times. We all face our imprisonments. Paul is saying, the difficulty I am facing right now is not going to ruin me. It is not going to take away my joy in Christ. My imprisonment is ultimately for the glory of God. 
Jesus warned us that in this world we are going to face trouble, we are going to face difficulty. It is a fallen, corrupt world. This can't be avoided. Our difficulties are a test of our character and how we respond when it happens. So verses 12 through 14, while Paul's in his imprisonment, what does he do? He continues to advance the gospel. He evangelizes the imperial guard, he grew in his confidence, and he did not sit down and simply sulk over his frustration and his bitterness. Now it's interesting the times that Paul lived, first century Christianity. In first century Christianity, especially in the Roman Empire at that time, all religions were tolerated. Just as long as you threw a pinch of incense towards Caesar, and honored him as God, you were allowed to worship any God of your choosing. Just as long as Caesar got his acknowledgement. That's all you had to do. But Christians, we only have one true God. It is a sin to worship or acknowledge any other God. So during the time of the first century, the character of the Christian was tested. What were they going to do during these times? The gospel being the only way was not a popular message during Paul's time as it's not a popular message today. It should come as no surprise. There's something about our human heart that just refuses to acknowledge this. As long as you don't cross that in today's culture, even in Paul's culture, as long as you don't cross that line and tell somebody that they have to repent, that God requires repentance and he requires faith, that you are born in your sins and there will be a time when you face God in judgment. These are the realities the world does not want to hear. As long as you don't cross that line, you're going to be fine. But the moment you do, expect trouble. Expect it. It's going to come. Paul faced great opposition for doing this. And what were the results of this determination? The advancement of the gospel throughout the entire Roman Empire. To the extent that the very imperial guard that was watching over him in jail was becoming converted. So while in prison, from what I was reading on this, the imperial guard was chained, was chained to Paul's wrist. And they would have four-hour watches. So every four hours, a new imperial guard would come and be chained side by side with Paul. So after they heard the gospel for four hours from Paul, another one would come in and be chained. And what would Paul do? He would evangelize that imperial guard. And then that one would be chained for another, taken away for, and another one would come in for four hours. What would Paul do? He would evangelize. To the point where the imperial guard were becoming Christians. This is how Paul viewed his imprisonment. A new guard created a new opportunity. During the hardship, Paul grew in his confidence. During the hardship, Paul grew in his boldness. Can you find anywhere in the New Testament where the circumstances that Paul faced broke him and he fell under his hardship? I don't see any. Every time that hardship came Paul's way, obviously being filled by the Spirit, being controlled by the Spirit, denying himself in every possible way he could, when he faced these difficulties, he grew in confidence and boldness. Remember his conversion. Acts chapter 9. Jesus said, For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Even when Paul was going to Jerusalem in Acts 21, 
When Paul was told he's going to be bound and he was going to be handed over to the Gentiles and the people were urging him not to go, Paul responded, I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but to even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul's joy remained in Christ, even though he knew he may be facing his own death. No matter how hard we try to premeditate what it would be like to go through certain scenarios that we fear, the only time we really get to validate our character is when we are face to face with the problem, with the trial, with the pain, with the suffering. When times are good, I don't think a whole lot of spiritual growth happens within us. When times get difficult, we are forced to make our decision for Christ. Pain and sorrow are guaranteed. We are going to be tested. Our spiritual growth increases greatly during these difficult times, and we are forced to grow. So Paul is telling the Philippians here in chapter 1, enter into this type of thinking. Don't think it's strange when we suffer or go through a trial. Think it as this is just part of the Christian walk. No matter what you are facing, no matter what Paul was facing, his imprisonment helped advance the gospel. His imprisonment forced him to grow in Christ. His circumstances did not take away his joy. And if that's our mindset, the Lord's will will be done in our life. Paul is telling us not to be afraid. Don't fear the pain. Don't fear the suffering. Respond out of boldness. God is going to use it for his glory and you are going to grow spiritually. And this type of godly joy and this boldness is, is contagious as we see in verse 14. He says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So they saw Paul's struggle. They saw his imprisonment. They saw his suffering. And they saw how he responded. And that strengthened their faith to go out and do the same. So what happens to us when we begin to lose that joy that we have in our hearts? The joy of the Lord. What happens when that gets replaced with suffering, with pain, with anxiety, and with frustration? Our focus becomes fixed squarely on the problem. We focus on the things that can hurt us. We focus on the pain and suffering, and our thoughts are continuously negative. We lose sight of the Lord. He either becomes distant or we have turned our back because we think we have to self-protect. And rather than drawing closer to Christ, our fear drives us away from him. Makes the situation twice as bad. We overanalyze. Our thoughts consume us. Our mind runs wild. We have an almost endless amount of scenarios that we think could possibly happen. What if this scenario happens? How am I going to respond? Okay, what if I face this? What am I going to do? All of these possible outcomes come through our mind. We allow the fear of these situations to control us. Rather than being in control of ourselves, grounded in the spirit, remaining in the joy. We panic and we freeze because of our fear. What ends up happening is we develop tunnel vision. All we can see 
all we can think about are the possible circumstances and situations that tomorrow could bring. And this is what Paul is telling us not to do. His example is the exact opposite of this. What Paul is doing in chapter 1 of Philippians is he's moving the church. He's showing them, don't have a mindset of fear. Have the mindset of boldness. And difficulty does just this. It forces us to grow in these circumstances. And as we see, the gospel also advances when times are the hardest. Paul understood that the Lord was with him during this time. His present situation, remember verse 13, my imprisonment is for Christ. His present situation, he understood, was not random. This wasn't something that just happened to him. He wasn't sitting there thinking, boy, if this didn't happen to me, Lord, I could be back a free citizen bringing the gospel all through Europe, but now I'm sitting here in prison. Now my plans and my expectations and my goals are ruined. Lord, where are you? That's not what Paul was doing. He understood this is exactly where the Lord wanted him to be. Being thrown in prison was God's will. How do we know? Because it happened. Nothing happens outside of God's will. It happened. That's how he knew. This was not a random act. Like Joseph back in Genesis chapter 50, his brothers selling him into slavery. At the end of the story, in chapter 50, verse 20, what do we see? His brothers meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Now what Paul is doing and now what we need to do are take, taking these historical counts that God has given us and applying those same principles to our everyday life. This moves us out of our day-to-day -day life of self-sufficiency. This moves us out of our patterns of expectation and comfort. We assume that tomorrow is going to be the same as it was today, and when it doesn't happen, we get angry. That if I do A, then tomorrow will bring forth B. But when it doesn't bring forth B, but it brings forth C, we become angry because we had an expectation that God didn't meet. God had different plans. Your comfort is not his number one concern. Your sanctification is. And these difficult times that come our way are the Lord's way of growing us and purifying us and transforming us to his image. It forces us to live daily by faith. Even though we sit here in the trouble and we can't make sense of what God is doing. It just doesn't make sense from our perspective. And a lot of the times, it won't. Because of this, we cannot allow our joy to be lost. At times, our joy in the Lord may be all we have left. The difficulty has stripped us of everything else. And we see how helpless and how vulnerable we really are as human beings. The hope we have is that God is at work in our circumstances. There is a reason for this. There is a purpose for this. We may not have any idea what it is, but God is there, and he has brought it about, and it's for our good. And this, during these type of circumstances, is when our spiritual growth intensifies. We become stronger, exponentially stronger, than we were the day before or before we entered into the trial. This is how you could tell Paul's strength 
and Paul's character. While imprisoned, he was looking for an opportunity to serve the Lord. He was still focused on the kingdom. He still maintained his joy in Christ. He wasn't sitting in the prison cell full of self-pity. He wasn't sitting there thinking with his hands between his knees, on the ground sitting, woe is me. He did not allow the circumstances to take away his joy. So Paul's given us this excellent example here. When pressure comes from the outside, how to properly respond. But what about dealing with difficulty that comes from within? Within our own circles, amongst our own friends, among other like-minded believers. Can Christians hurt other Christians? Sometimes being hurt by another believer is worse than being hurt by an unbeliever. Paul mentions the tension that he experiences here in verse 15. He says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others were from goodwill. The intention was to upset Paul. Does envy and rivalry exist within churches? Yeah, because the church is full of sinful human beings. Of course it's going to. I assume that most people sitting here this evening have been hurt by somebody from church. But to keep this perspective in balance, I'm sure most people sitting here this evening have hurt somebody else within the church as well. So it goes both ways. We never really have a podium to stand on to think, this has happened to me, woe is me, how could they do that? Most certainly we have hurt somebody else the same. When we feel this pain from others, rarely are we innocent in the matter. So what was Paul's mindset being hurt by the people within his own community? In verse 16 he says, The latter do it out of love. So the latter are preaching the gospel out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, though, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. So Paul is sitting in prison, and what are they trying to do? They're trying to inflict him. How does Paul respond? Verse 18, what then? On that in every way, whether pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He refuses to become bitter. He does not develop the victim mentality. He doesn't allow this situation to push him out of the church from his ministry responsibilities. How does he respond? He responds by rejoicing in the fact that no matter what their motives are, no matter how much they're trying to hurt me, he's rejoicing that Christ is being proclaimed through the preaching. The next time you may hear somebody gossiping about you in church, there's two ways to respond to this. The first way is out of anger, to become bitter, to store it up in your heart, to hold a grudge, to leave the church. There's almost an infinite amount of possibilities here. That's the first way. The second way is like this, out of humility. So when you hear somebody say something about you that's not right, or you hear people talking about you behind your back, 
Our first sense should be this. I'm not that important to really get concerned. They're speaking about me. They're talking bad about me. Who am I? What's the difference? I'm not that important. I'm not somebody where, oh my goodness, I can't believe they spoke against me. How dare they speak against me? I'm not that important. They want to speak against me? Fine. My focus is going to stay on the Lord. If that's what they want to think about me, okay. I'm not that important really to get upset about. Who am I? I'm going to stay focused on Christ. See, the problem is, is we get this mentality of, I can't believe they just said that about me. Well, well who are you? I, I'm, I'm not saying with, trying to justify what they did. But we're not that important to get all full of selfish anger and rage because it's just that clear. And that's why Paul said in verse 18, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and I rejoice. He didn't sit here and say, do you know who I am? I'm the one who Jesus knocked down on the way to Damascus. I'm the one who the Lord saved and called to the Gentiles and to the kings and to the Israelites. Do these people have any idea who they're talking about? That was not Paul's defense. He didn't even defend himself. He said, let them talk. The kingdom's advancing. They're preaching Christ. Great. He moved on. He didn't take it to heart. He didn't see himself as important where I can't believe they're talking about me. That wasn't his response. And if that wasn't Paul's response, that shouldn't be our response. Stay focused in Christ. Struggles from within the church test our reason. They test our motives. Why do you come to church? Why did you join? Why do you serve? If disagreement and argues come, arguments come, is your first thought to leave? Is your first thought to think, okay, I'm done. I've had it. If that's all it takes to remove your joy from serving Christ, my question is your commitment to the gospel. If all it takes is a simple little bit of gossip to remove you from the position, it tests us. Where is our heart really at? Is it in how others treat me? Is it in how others see me? Or is it for my service to Christ? Does conflict justify your reason to leave? Does it motivate you never to come back? Does it tempt you to justify holding on to the grudge? These are all sinful responses. Sometimes these difficulties, what do they do? They highlight what's really hiding within our hearts. They're just bringing it out. It was already there. The sin was already there. We may not have seen it, but the confrontation may have drawn out what was already in our heart. We want an excuse to walk away from church. We want a reason not to come back. An internal conflict provides a person with an excuse then to justify the reaction because their pride got hurt. We think, how dare they do this to me. Paul refuses to do this. He refuses to allow his critics to take his joy away from Christ and his joy and his ministry responsibilities. He continues to do what he is called to do. And he's thankful for the fact that the gospel's even being preached, even though some of them may have those motives to upset him. His main purpose was to glorify God. Paul understands there's going to be conflict between believers. We do not all get along together. We should, but we don't. We're all fallen people. We're all infected with pride. What internal difficulty exposes is it, is it filters out the purity of our intentions. Why do we do what we do? Are we here truly to serve the Lord? How do we respond when we're wrong? Do we repay evil for evil? 
Do we store the incident in our memory bank? Do we gossip and tell our close friends about what this other person just said to us? Do we become bitter and lose our joy in church? Or do we faithfully carry on and allow the situation to build up our character and continue on in the joy of Christ? The truth is, all of these struggles that Paul faced are common problems to Christians. Being falsely accused or being trying to incite a response, being misunderstood is very frustrating. It happens all the time, but it's common. We shouldn't be shocked when things like this happen. We should prepare our hearts to be ready for when it does happen. Because when it comes, then we will have self-control and be able to respond accordingly. We don't want to treat it lightly because these things do hurt, but at the same time, we we want to be honest with our pain, but go to the Lord with your pain. Go to the Lord with your frustration. He sees your heart. You may be hurting, but respond accordingly. Go to the Lord with it. Don't try to fool yourself in thinking, things will be better if I stop serving or I go somewhere else, but on the flip side, don't make the problem bigger than it already is. Paul faced various trials throughout his Christian walk. We do as well, but Paul kept his joy and he kept his focus. And when his character was tested, when he was instigated, when he was provoked, he continued on the path that the Lord had given him. As he states here in verse 19 and 20, Paul says, Because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and from the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation is in hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That Christ is honored in our body, whether life or death comes tomorrow. God will be glorified. The difficult things that come our way, the things that test you, the things that anger you, the things that bring frustration, the things that bring worry. Have you ever considered this? Could it be that the Lord is using these things to expose a flaw in your character? If you had it your way, things would always go as planned. You would always be happy. But then you wouldn't grow either. We tend to mature faster when we face hardship. How many things have you experienced in your life that you would not have chosen to go through? I think we can make a list of hard things that have come in our life that if it was up to us, we would have never gone through those, but we did. And it was the Lord's doing. And when we are done with the trial and we have time to reflect and to look back and to see the patience and see the maturity and see the sanctification that the Lord brought through my heart, to see the character flaws that I brought forth into the problem, to see the sinful ways that I was responding, to see how attached I was to the things of this world. And when the Lord took them from me, and I complained and I cried on the inside like an infant, but on the outside I was walking around, nobody could see it, but the Lord saw it, and he's weaning that from us. That's why these difficult times come our way. Because the Lord is exposing something in our hearts. He's showing us how weak we are and how easy we're to abandon the joy that we have in Christ because we've been wronged. 
It shouldn't be that easy. We see Paul making these correct choices. The Lord brings difficulties in our life like this as well. How are we going to respond? So when we see these difficulties come, the Lord uses them as instruments to build up your faith. The Lord uses these things as instruments to strengthen you and your character. This is another form of God's grace in your life to expose you of your weakness so you may be strengthened. To build your character and your sanctification through hardship so you continue on the joy of the Lord the next time a difficult time comes about. God is behind all of it. And he will always supply you with what you need in order for you to do what he has called you to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening. Lord, when things don't make sense, when we think we have a reason or a justification to become angry and to walk away, Lord, that our character is tested. Lord, that when our joy, we're tempted to walk away. We pray we cast all of these cares at your feet as you grow us, as you strengthen us, as you mature us, that we have faith, Lord, that you're bringing these things about for a plan and for a reason and for a purpose. So, Lord, let us fellowship together purely and in love and in peace and in joy. And blessings from your Son and your Son's name. Amen.